Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? All right, we're going to do it one more time because you weren't ready. Everybody doing all right today? All right, all right, you're with me, 930. Okay, so you're setting the bar pretty high for 11 o'clock, so I'm going to tell them that you guys did a good job. Today's a big day, you already heard. Today's the first official Sunday for us as Canton Church, and yeah, that's, that's awesome, yeah, three people excited about that, that's great. No, and some of you, you're like, well, that doesn't really, I mean, it's been, it said Canton Church on the building for like 18 months, I don't understand why that's a big deal. Uh, we have been a campus of Mount Perrin North for uh, the last five and a half years, since we launched in Sequoia High School in January of 2012. Uh, Mount Perrin North down in Marietta launched us and, and, and really kind of birthed us and, and supported us, and, and it was an incredible relationship and has been. And so this Sunday is not like, thank God we got away from that, those people. Like, it's not that. Uh, which you'll hear a little bit about today, but it is an exciting day. It's a milestone day because they're transitioning leadership there. Today is the first official Sunday for their new pastor. And so in this transition, these were two separate parallel tracks for us. Um, Our disengagement, which is what we were calling it, uh, and their transition of leadership from Dr. Mark Walker to Dr. Kirk Walters. I think they only had to change like three letters on the last name of the sign there, Walker to Walter. But, um, But anyway, so they're transitioning and we're transitioning and it's just this really healthy, beautiful picture of, of birthing a church. And so we've been a campus, which means that we've shared resources, we've shared uh, missions, we've shared mission and vision, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, but just an incredible relationship over the last five and a half years. And so today we kind of embark on our own. Uh, Pastor Mark and I were texting back and forth this morning. This is his first official Sunday with not being a senior pastor. He is now on staff at Lee University. So I texted him and I said, hey, you slept in today, didn't you? You're skipping church. Like that's, that's what I assume you're doing. He's like, no, I wish, you know, whatever. So, uh, but no, it's a, it's a big day. And so over these last five and a half years, what you've heard us say for a while um, is what our mission and vision is. It's helping people live a Christ-centered life, especially those that are disconnected from Christ. But here's what I want you to do as we start today. Don't fall asleep. I know some of you, you haven't had a good uh, dose of coffee yet, so don't fall asleep, but close your eyes just for a moment. Just close your eyes just for a second. Nobody's going to come up and like tap you on the shoulder and make you it in this game or anything like that. I want you to envision the sunset. For those that may not be tracking, that's when the sun is going down, not when the sun is coming up. Envision the sunset. I want you to think about that. Maybe it's the sunset over your house as a kid. Maybe it's the sunset over the lake that you were just on a few days ago. Maybe it's the sunset last night because you happened to see it. Whatever that sunset is, I want you to envision it. All right, now open your eyes and look at me. Some of you did envision the sunset that kind of crested over the mountains when you went skiing this last winter, and some of you were envisioning the sunset as it goes over the horizon at the beach. Now, here's the question. Which one's right? Which one's right? All of them, right? That's not a trick question. They're all right because they're all the sunset. Now, close your eyes one more time, just for a second. Close your eyes. Nobody's looking around here. Now, I want you to envision the church. Envision the church. Maybe it's the church you grew up in. Maybe it's the church that you were saved in. Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's another church that you pass on your way to this church. Just envision the church. Now open your eyes. Which one's right? All of them, right? For the most part, we would all agree and all say today that all of the things that you probably envisioned in your mind when you thought of the church were right. 
Some of us thought of buildings, buildings that mean something to us. Some of us thought of groups of people that meant something to us. Some of, some of us thought of, you know, the altar where we knelt and we asked Jesus into our hearts. Some of us thought of the children's church room or the Sunday school classroom or the, the old A-frame, you know, steepled church that we grew up. Whatever it is that you envisioned, that's the church to you. Now, here's the reality for all of us. As we envision the church and as we think about the church, all of those churches, for the most part, they all have something in common. Now, I, I realize that there are churches that believe completely different things and think completely different things. So I'm not you know, saying today that there's no bad theology or there's no wrong beliefs or there's, everything is right and everything's okay. I'm not saying that today, so please don't hear what I'm not saying. But for the most part, churches that we would be in relationship with have one thing in common, and that one thing is the mission of the church. And when I say church, I'm talking about big C. And that mission is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's the mission of the church. So if you're a church, big C, that is agreeing on Jesus Christ as kind of the centrality of the gospel, that God sent Jesus to come to earth, him who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you believe in that, then you probably find yourself rallying around the mission of Jesus Christ called the Great Commission there in the end of the book of Matthew, where he commissions the church to go and make disciples. So most churches that I'm connected to relationally in some way or another, including this one, has always been about that mission, to go and make disciples. If we're going to really wake up in the morning and know this is what we're about, this is what we're to go and do, it's to go and make disciples. And so you've heard us over the last few years talk about helping people live a Christ-centered life. That really is about discipleship for us to go and help people become disciples. The word disciple there means just follower of a teaching, follower of a teacher. When people would walk up to Jesus, he was one of, in that day, one of many who were walking around teaching a train of thought, a way of living, a way of life. And so when they said to him, rabbi or teacher, they were talking to someone who had a new thought, a different thought, a different way to orient your life. And so these people were walking up to him and saying, you are my teacher. I want to be your follower. Maybe when you read through the Gospels, you see that there were followers of John and there were followers of Jesus and there were followers of other people who were walking around preaching and teaching. And John had to constantly, John the Baptist, had to constantly point people to Jesus and say, no, 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 I'm the precursor. I'm the one who comes to set the stage. I'm a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of me, you need to be a follower of Jesus. Later in the New Testament, people would come to follow after Paul. And Paul would say to them as he's planting churches and leading churches, he would say, come and follow me as I follow Christ. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ, come and follow me as I follow after him. And so we get up every single day to help people become disciples. It's the universal mission of the church. So very little separates churches related to mission. I mean, those that are Bible-believing, gospel-centric churches have the same mission. Big C Church has the same mission. So then what separates churches? Because you envisioned a lot of different churches in your head. 
If we had taken the time today to say, hey, what did you see when you closed your eyes and you were thinking about the church, what did you see? And you saw little churches and big churches and different style churches and churches that sing like us and churches that sing with different types of music or musicians or maybe no music, people that preach differently than I preach and talk differently than I talk. And so all of those things are churches. Which one's right? What separates all of these different churches? Now, author Seth Godin, he would say it's those churches identifying their purple cow. It's really a business principle. It's not just a church principle. It's a business principle. But imagine you're driving down a, a country road, right? That's not too difficult to think of here in Cherokee County. You're driving down a country road and you're looking over, you know, to the right or to the left and you see a black and white cow, a black and white cow, a black and white cow, a black and white cow. And all of a sudden you see a purple cow. It would get your attention, right? You would probably pull over to the side of the road, take out your phone, snap a picture of that, post it on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and Musical.ly and whatever else that you're a part of, and you would go, I saw a purple cow today. You don't do that when you see a black and white cow. Well, the same thing is true most often when we think about churches, that there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of commonalities. I mean, I just told you that every church has the same mission, so what separates churches? I would contend to you today that what separates churches is not their mission, but their vision. Their vision is their unique sunset. Every church has a unique sunset. It doesn't make ours writer than somebody else's. It just means this is what God has created and called us to do and to be related to the gifts that he's placed inside of us as a church, the people that he's brought to this place for this season of time. Our mission is the same but perhaps our vision is different. It is our purple cow. It's what makes us unique. It is what separates us and differentiates us from other churches, even here in this community, even here on this road in this community. And so a few months ago, back in April or May, I sent out a text message. Some of our staff did the same. And we texted like 30 or 40 people. It wasn't to be scientific. We weren't trying to be exclusive. We weren't trying to ignore people. I just told them, and I did in a, in a moment as a part of a conversation, just the names and numbers you have in your phone, just text some people. Maybe not everybody you have in your phone from the church, just, just start texting people and ask them this question. If you had to describe Canton Church in five words, what would you say? What five words would you use to describe Canton Church? I went back and looked through my phone even last night to look at some of the words that were sent back. Some of them were smart, Alex. Um, they, they sent back, <laughs> Justin Fountain was one. He sent back and said, pardon our mess, we're expanding. Um, so, you know, that was, that was one. And there were others that, you know, wanted to hyphenate a lot of words. They couldn't, you know, bring it into five words. So it was like 37 words, but they tried to hyphenate those. And here's some words that came back to us as a part of this effort. Inspirational, friendly, spirit-led, that's hyphenated, family, Inviting, safe, friends, friendly, energetic, welcoming, life-changing, hyphenated, home, loving, challenging, consistent, uplifting, and 117 other words. They're these words that just came back to us as we just reached out to say, hey, what, what do you think of when you think of Canton Church? What we were trying to get to is what is our purple cow? What is it that separates us? What differentiates us from other churches in this community that makes us special, that causes you to come into the doors of this church and stay here? What connects you here? 
we believe we 100% in the sovereignty of God that if, if God doesn't grow the church, if God doesn't build the church, we labor in vain. We're not talking about our efforts to grow a church or to make it something other than God's blessing or favor on this place in this season. But as, as much as it depends on us, what is it that makes us unique? And some of these words we felt like described us pretty well. Both the things that we wanted to be, somewhat aspirational goals, and those that we felt like were actual goals or, or, or descriptive words of who we were. And some of them we would read it and go, wow, I'm so thankful that people experienced that or thought that because we don't think we're very good at that. But these were the words that came back to us. And so we spent several days and even several weeks praying over these words, dialoguing about these words and others, and crafting statements that we felt like would describe us. We were trying to hone in on the vision of Canton Church. We were trying to hone in on the purple cow. What made us, us? And we came up with some pretty good ones, none of which I'm going to share with you today. Some really good ones, like that I was excited about. Corey and I were driving down the road, and, and she would say one, or she would put the words together, or she would come up with a statement that we felt like encapsulated, and I'd be like, oh, that is so good. She's way more creative than I am. And so she would say, she would say it, and I'd be like, oh, that's way better than anything I could come up with. I like that. And then I would say one, and she'd be like, yeah, that's okay. I'm totally kidding. She would not do that. I would say it, and she'd go, yeah, that's good. I'm like, no, that's not good. Let's don't use that one. And we would just go back and forth, and we'd bring them to the staff, and the staff, we'd sit around in our staff meetings, and we would dialogue about them. We'd pray over them. We would talk about who is Canton Church. And we came up with a couple. We, we brought it down to about two or three, and we all walked out of that meeting, and we felt like those two or three really encapsulated who we were. And then something terrible happened. I read the Bible. I'm telling you, when I read the Bible, it just messes me up every single time, right? Because all the things that I thought and all the things that I thought were good ideas, I realized maybe that's not a God idea. It's just a good idea. And so I was reading the Bible one day, and I came to a passage of Scripture that has gotten so into the deep places of my heart and my soul that it changed everything I had been thinking up to that point. But before I tell you what that Scripture was, I want to show you something. There's a guy that writes books and talks and delivers these TED Talks and all that stuff. I encourage you to look him up. His name is Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek is a guy who talks about leadership principles and business principles and all kinds of things that are transferable into just about every context. And I realize not everybody will be able to see this board in just a minute. They're going to display this image up on the screen for you to see. But one of the concepts that Simon Sinek developed into a book, and he's developed into several different talks, comes up in this thing that he calls the golden circle. Now, I am not an artist, okay? My stick people look like they have eating disorders. I cannot draw, and I recognize that. But this is called the golden circle, and it's my interpretation, best I can. I'm going to have to get a better marker for 11 o'clock. So a golden circle, there's actually a couple of different concentric circles on the inside of that. I think maybe if I just use it correctly, it'll work. So you have the golden circle here. And there's multiple circles that just kind of keep going. And it's, this is all the things that you do, all the things that you are as an organization, as a business, as an idea, as a concept. And most often what we do is we start somewhere on the outside with a concept that says, what do we do, right? What do we do? We, we start out here and we go, you know, what is Canton Church? Oh, it's friendly, it's exciting, it's energetic, it's great, we love it, it's uplifting, it's inspirational, it's spirit-led. This is what 
we do. We sing songs. Somebody stands up and talks for a few minutes. We do some announcements. We show a video every now and then. We take up the offering. We go home. We do kids ministry. We do student ministry. We do some outreach, some missions. Like, this is what we do. That's great. That's, you mostly know those things about the places that you do business, maybe even your business. There's another idea that would separate all the different places that do the same things. How do we do it? Right? My handwriting's not usually this bad, but trying to write this way makes it a little awkward. So what you do, there's a lot of people that do what you do. But you really start to get into very specific ways that you do that and go, how do we do what we do? Right? A lot of people are techno- a lot of companies are technology companies. They sell devices, they sell phones. But the way that Apple does it, or maybe just the way that Apple did it at some point in their history, attracted a lot of people to what they were doing, right? And Simon Sinek uses this example. There were other companies that were already saying, hey, we could sell you a five gigabyte MP3 player. And people were like, yeah, I don't know that I need that. Until Apple came out and said, we can put a thousand songs in your pocket. How they did it changed how people interacted with what they did. There's a how. How do we do what we do? Well, we do it in certain ways. And some of the words that came back to us were how words. And those are great. But when I read the passage of Scripture that I'm going to read to you in just a few minutes, what it did for me is it took all of the what and all of the how and it clarified it. And Simon Sinek, as I went back to read something that I'd read several years ago, he talks about that what this inner circle is that differentiates everything else that very few companies, very few organizations, and very few churches understand is why they do it. You can throw that up on the screen so everybody can see it if they can't see the board. When I was trying to understand the vision of Canton Church, I was spending a lot of time out here. And I was spending a little bit of time here but I wasn't really spending any time here until I opened God's word one day, not looking for this passage, looking for something else. And this is what I read beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now I realize that when you read that, like I'm reading that, it may not say to you what it said to me. And we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking all of Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I encourage you just to read Deuteronomy chapter 6 on your own over the next few days or weeks. The context here is that Moses, who is leading the people of God, the children of God, out of captivity, they've been in Egypt, they've been slaves there, he's leading them from that place toward the promised land. What we know about the story has come to the end of Deuteronomy. Moses is not going to be the guy to lead them into the promised land. He actually dies before he gets there. And Joshua is the one who steps up to lead them into this place. But Moses in this moment is still the voice, the the mouthpiece of God, speaking to the people of God about who they should be and what they should do as they're moving towards this promised land. And what you have here in the first few verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is he's saying, listen, there's some commands of God, some decrees, some laws, some ways that God is directing you. And I want to teach you to observe them so that as you walk towards your future, as you walk towards your destiny, you would be all that God wants you to be 
and you would take possession of all that God wants you to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. So as I was reading that and thinking about this concept, here's what I came to understand. I came to understand the idea that what we do and how we do it matters much less than why we do it. We don't stand up to sing songs. I don't stand up to talk to you on Sundays and to preach from God's word on Sundays. We don't stand in the lobby to serve you. We don't open up children's classrooms to engage kids from birth through fifth grade. We don't open up on Wednesday nights for middle school and high school students. We don't have life groups throughout this community so that you feel better. It's not what we do. Our hope, our desire is that you are growing in relationship with God so that you are obeying to a greater degree than you used to the commands, the decrees, and the laws of God, but not just for you. For you, for your children, and for your children's children. That there is something that you are experiencing that's bigger than you. There's something that you are experiencing. There's something that we are trying to present. There's something that we're trying to engage in together. There's something that we're trying to do together, living life together that is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It extends beyond this moment into future moments that we don't yet know what it even looks like. It's for you and for your children and for your children's children. And what Moses says right here is he says, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. That's a reference to the promised land. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. We're not going to read verses 10 through 12 today. But if you read our weekly email, if you don't, that means we don't have your email address or you've blocked us. But if you read that, and both of those are bad, by the way. But if you read that, earlier this week I sent you part of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. The words of verses 10 through 12 say that we realize that when we get to that place, that we'll be drinking from wells we didn't dig, eating from vineyards we didn't plant, living in houses we didn't build. And what he says right here is that the promise that we will inherit is a promise that was given to those who came before us. The promises of God made to our ancestors are the promises that we get to inherit. And I, again, I've talked about it before. But I stand on this stage because my great-great-grandfather, Henry Ernest Isaacs, prayed that I would be a preacher. You say, well, that's funny. I mean, my, my grandfather prayed I just wouldn't be an idiot, right? I don't know what your grandfather prayed for you, but here's what I know. My great-great-grandfather prayed that not just me, but that his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren would do what he was doing, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ to those who were in need and to preach the gospel. And so when I stand here every single Sunday, I do so standing on his shoulders. He made promises, God did, to my ancestors. And so I drink from wells I didn't dig, and I eat from vineyards I didn't plant, and I live in houses I didn't build. And so does Canton Church. As long as Canton Church exists, we will exist because of the labor, because of the efforts, because of the work of some of the people that you and I will never, ever meet in our lifetime those who've passed on before us, those in the 20s and 30s and 40s who were doing ministry in downtown Atlanta 
that eventually would become Hemp Hill Avenue Church and that would eventually become Mount Perrin Church of God, that would eventually become Mount Perrin North Church of God in Marietta, which would eventually become Canton Church. Seeds along the way, promises of God along the way. And so we exist for us and for our children and for our children's children because generations matter. The story of God is always about generations. The what's and the how's are less important than the wise. And so everyone here today is a part of a family. You may be single, you may be dating, seriously, or just, you know, on a whim. You may be engaged, you may be married, but everybody's a part of a family, whether you want to recognize that family or not, because everyone got here through someone else. And so what I want to do just with the last few minutes of my time today is I want to talk about this idea of generations in regard to family. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some other concepts that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that really motivate us and are the why that we exist. But today I want to talk about family for just a few minutes, and I want to start by talking about marriage. Now, I've, I've talked, I mean, almost exhaustively about marriage. Corey and I love to talk about marriage. It's one of our favorite things to speak on. Not because we have a perfect marriage or we figured it out, but we love journeying together with other married couples for the purpose that we're about to read here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, 25, and then 31 through 33. We're skipping around here just a little bit. I want to just hit the main ideas of Ephesians chapter 5 in this subject. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When we read Ephesians chapter 5, there's no way that we can read it and not understand that your marriage, if you are married in the room or will ever be married, your marriage is bigger than you and your spouse. It is a reflection of God's love towards humanity. It is the earthly depiction of how God engages us. And he does so through Jesus Christ. Why do you think there is such a cultural attack on the institution of marriage? Not because people don't want you to be married so you get the tax break. Because the enemy recognizes that if you living in a godly marriage, are doing what the scriptures talk about, you are helping everyone on the earth see what God's love looks like to human beings. That's why your marriage is important. You, as husband and wife, are the reflection of God's love to every man and every woman on the earth. And I recognize that every person in this room has a different context of marriage. Some of you are happily married. Some of you are just married. Some of you used to be married. Some of you may be married one day. Some of you never want to get married. Some of you are 12. You don't know. <laughs> right? I get it. I get it. Some of you are 22 and you act like you're 12. At least your spouse says you do. Right? And so I realize your context of marriage is all over the place. Here's what you need to know whether it's your marriage or some other marriage that you observe and you look at, we all need to understand that marriages model God's love toward humanity. And so if you are married, you need to recognize that you play a vital role in the story of God on the earth. 
If you will one day be married, you need to enter that as close to God as you can be so that you can love that other person who's just as flawed as you are in ways that help model God's love for humanity. If you used to be married, and marriage in your mind now is a distorted thing, you need to ask God to heal you and to help you so that should you ever get married again, you can model God's love for humanity. And if anybody asks you right now, you don't talk bad about marriage because your marriage may have been a mess, but marriage biblically is God's way of showing his love. So you and I don't have the right to talk about marriage in a way that does not model what God intended marriage to be. And so you need to ask God to help heal your heart. It's one of the reasons that we don't endorse and we try to help couples that are not married but are trying to reap all the benefits of marriage before they get married. We tell them that's a mistake. Having physical relationships that should be confined to marriage, living together before they have been married, because what you're saying to that other person is, I want intimacy without commitment. You're saying, what I want is I just want it to be about me and not about us. And I don't want to model what it looks like to follow God and the example that God gives us here on earth in the way that Scripture calls for. What I just want to do is I just want to make it as much about me as I possibly can. But there's no commitment here. I'm not willing to give myself completely to you. But we believe in marriage because generations matter. And so we want to help marriages be as strong as they possibly can because we believe that it's important to the story of God. Some of you aren't married, and even those that are, we are all children. Maybe your parents aren't still living. Maybe they are. But there are words of admonition to children in Scripture as well. If you just go one chapter over from what we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, we immediately jump into Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about children. And the New Living Translation says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Children, obey your parents. It's easy for me to say this now because I are a parent. But when I weren't a parent... I would read that and go, ah, yeah, I mean, that's in there. But, I mean, it's not one of the important things. But it is. Because what we understand from Ephesians chapter 6 is that you honor God when you honor your parents. And I'm not, I don't have my head in the sand. I, I'm now raising four kids along with my wife that are 12, 10, 8, and 6. And I recognize in ever-increasing amounts every day that parents and children are going to disagree but here's what I know now that I don't think I knew when I was 12, 10, 8, or 6. You can disagree with your parents without dishonoring them. But you honor God when you honor your parents. And so it doesn't matter how old you are, if your parents are still living, honor your father and mother. Because generations matter. It will go well with you, the promise says. When you honor your father and mother, it's the commandment with a promise that it will go well with you. So parents, what's your responsibility to your children? If you have kids, or maybe you will have kids one day, talking about the family institution, parents, what is your responsibility to your children? Jump back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at 6, 7, and 9. This is what it says. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here's what we believe. 
We believe that parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. We want to partner with you. We want to equip you. We want to give you resources. We want to instruct them every chance that we have with them. But if you are here at the church every single time the doors are open, we still only get your kids about two hours a week. I would think you're with them a little bit more than that. You have greater opportunity to invest in them and their spiritual well-being. And here's what I know, because it's true of my life and it's true of the way that I'm trying to parent. What my kids know about God will be more caught as they watch me than taught to them by the words that I said. What if your kid's relationship 10 years from now was solely based on what they watched in you following Jesus? a sobering thought for parents in the room, but here's what we believe. Parenting's important because generations matter. Generations matter. We want to invest in your marriage because your marriage tells the story of God. We want to invest in sons and daughters because as they grow in relationship with the Lord, they extend the mission to the next generation. We believe in generational ministry here. There's a place for you here to extend the story of God in your family or to write the story of God for future generations of your family if you don't inherit any legacy of faith. But the story of God throughout Scripture is a generational story. Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and to create future generations. Noah built an ark to preserve generations. Abraham was given a covenant for future generations. Joseph was sent ahead to save generations. Moses was saved so that he could save future generations. Joshua led the younger generation into the promised land that the older generation could not inherit. Ruth and Naomi found Boaz so that there could be another generation in the line of Jesus Christ. David passed the throne to the next generation. Solomon built on what his father's generation could not complete. The story of God is about one generation to the next generation, and we want to be in on the story of God because at Canton Church, we believe that generations matter. When you come to this place, when we sing songs, when we lead prayers, when we preach messages, when we go out into our life groups or we go out to serve the community, when we give resources and we go to the mission field or we send money to the mission field, we're doing so because we believe that generations matter. There's a lot of what we do and even how we do it that will change. But no matter what the taglines ever say or what we put on t-shirts or what we print in the worship guide that you're handed, the why is always the same. We exist because generations matter. When you sit in this place, you sit here because you want God to do something in you that you can pass on. Your marriage, your relationship with friends, your children, your moms and dads, your aunts and uncles, grandparents. Generations matter. You play a vital role in the story of God. And what if the next generation is depending on you to be faithful? They're depending on you to be obedient. They're depending on you to stay married and not give up because you're the only example they have of how God loves humanity. And if you would give up on each other, what does that say about God giving up on them? You say, no, it's not, it's not that big a deal. You don't understand. We fight about everything. I don't care. 
I believe that God can heal brokenness. I believe that God can forgive. I believe that God can give love where anger and chaos abounds and he can bring peace to your home because generations matter. Generations matter. Your story doesn't end by whatever date is on your tombstone at some point. Not if you do it right. Not if you do it right. There are people that lived before me, but their story continues because they put something in me that I carry today so that I can give to somebody else, so that they can carry it on long before, long beyond my time here on earth. Because generations matter. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. God, we thank you today for your sovereignty. It's just a fancy word that means that you are in control. Nothing of our lives, nothing of this place surprises you because it's your story. From the first chapter of of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation, I see the story of generations throughout. That we are called to impress what we've been given onto the hearts of our children. God, that our marriages reflect your love towards us, and so we are living a grander story. We honor our father and mother because we honor you by doing so. And so in this place, a Canton church, we want to build strong marriages. We want to invest in strong families. We want to call us to live lives that honor you to the very best of our ability because we believe when we do so, It extends the mission of God to the next generation. God, bring clarity to us today. Let our heart beat for the things that your heart beats for. Wherever there is hurt, God, I pray that you would heal it. Wherever there is brokenness in our families, God, I pray that you would restore it. God, I pray right now for every seed of unforgiveness may exist. God, give us the strength to forgive and to forgive first. God, let us make the hard phone call today, write the card, send the text, have the conversation. It's worth it. As awkward as it may feel, as hard as it may be, we believe it's important because generations matter. And so God, from this place, extend out. And in this community, let marriages homes and families reflect your story that you're writing in the world. And God, as much as it depends on us, let us start here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.